All right, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. If you'd like to stand, you can. We're going to read the Word of God, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll get started. So Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit today to teach us to open our minds to measure and calculate and and stretch our, our minds to understand your greatness, your power, your love, your goodness, your, your fantastic nature. Father, I pray that you would give us faith, God, to obey, uh, faith to believe, faith to step out of the boat. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so if you've been with us the last couple weeks, isn't it kind of cool that Jesus finally gets some time to himself to pray? Uh, you remember in, at the beginning of chapter 14, uh, Jesus was trying to get the disciples off by themselves. In fact, they left the crowds and went to a desolate place. But then you remember what happens? The crowds find out where they go and they swamp them. And it says Jesus had compassion. So he sees the crowd. So they're trying to get away. They, the, the scripture says in Mark, they didn't even have, have, have a chance to eat, right? And so, so they finally get away to themselves and they finally have, are in a desolate place and Man, what happens? But the crowds come. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He heals their sick. And then if you are here last week, he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're figuring twenty to 25,000 people with a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. All right? So that's just happened. And now it says, he says he compels or he made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. All right? Now, in our Bibles, it just says in verse 20, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. All right. When you look at "made" up in Greek, it is a word that means to compel. It is a word that means to force. In other words. You can imagine, they didn't want to be separated from him, right? Like, they're going across the sea. He's telling them, I want you guys to get in the sea and get in the boat and go across the sea. And they're probably saying, well, Jesus, how are you going to go? Like, how are you going to get to us, you know? And Jesus is like, guys, just get in the boat, go across the sea to the other side. So he makes them go across, and then Jesus dismisses the crowds, and then he goes up on the mountain to pray. That's not the main point of what we're going to look at today. But guys, I can't tell you how much that challenges me 
to prayer, all right? If the Son of God needed to give that much effort to pulling away and calling out on the Father, how much more do I, you know? As you read this text, he prays throughout the night. So he's been at it nonstop for 48 I don't know, 52 hours, meeting needs, healing. They've tried to get away, you know, they, they haven't been able to. And finally, he gets a little bit of a break, and he dismisses everybody. And what he does, he goes up on the mountain so that he can be with his father alone. And that's a great testimony to how much we need prayer. So he sends the disciples, right? He sends them across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 24, it says, they are beaten by the waves and the wind is against them. Pretty much they row throughout the, the, the night and the waves are against them. The wind is against them. There's another storm that's come down the Sea of Galilee. In fact, when you read Mark 6.48, the parallel passage, it says they are making, um, they're making headway painfully. I was thinking about if I ever wrote a book about my life, that's what I would title it. Making headway painfully, right? Anybody else kind of resonate with that, right? Like that, that that's kind of the story of our lives is making headway painfully. You know, when, I, when I look at things like that, I am so reminded that the Christian life is not going to be easy, right? I mean, that we, we all kind of want to think that it's going to be easy. We all kind of want to make it out like, man, that, you know, once you become a Christian, everything's easy. Look, it's never easy. We, sh- we should remember that. We should remember that we're, we're only in Mark chapter 14. This is the second deadly storm that the disciples have been on in the Sea of Galilee that's recorded in the book of Matthew. And, and the whole time they are following Jesus. They're obeying Jesus. You know, Dan, Pastor Daniel was uh, preaching the other night at an event and I was there in a congregation and 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 sometime during the sermon he's like guys it's just gonna be hard he said it's just like my pastor says it's always gonna be hard and I had this proud moment I was like somebody's listening to me right yeah like it is like it's gonna be hard the Christian life is gonna be hard so Jesus is up praying the disciples go across the lake they're rowing the winds against them the waves are against them it's difficult they're making their way painfully and in verse 25 it says in the fourth watch of the night okay and we don't have watches in the night for us but 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 if you you know your history that was from 3 a.m to 6 a.m so early in the morning from 3 to 6 a.m they've been battling the wind all night and jesus comes to them walking on the water okay now the response of the disciples is they're terrified Right? Now, you would be too, right? Um, I was trying to think. I, I don't sail much. You, probably most of you. There's not a lot of sailing to be done around here, is there? You know? So I was trying to think, you know, what, what would that be like, you know? And the, the comparison that I made was a lot of us fly, right? So let's say you got on a plane in Oklahoma City and you're headed to Los Angeles, right? And about halfway there, uh, maybe you're over Nevada or Utah, about halfway there, you open your little little window up and, and you're looking out the window and here comes this person walking on the clouds towards you, right? Like that would be disturbing, would it not, you know? That, that would be a little unsettling, okay? So they're, they're the same way. They've been rowing all night across the Sea of Galilee. They're miles and miles from the shore and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, they look and there is somebody walking on the water toward them and it says they are terrified. Now Jesus speaks to them immediately and he says take heart it is I don't be afraid all right take heart it's I don't be afraid now I don't know about you guys but that only works with Jesus okay take heart it's I that only works with Jesus because I'm telling you like if I'm fishing off in the Gulf of Mexico you know miles from from land and it's the middle of the night and I see a figure walking on the water toward me and we're all like ah you know and all of a sudden Fred Martin's like guys it's just me 
I'm still scared, right? Like, like I'm still terrified. Like, that doesn't help to know it's Fred. That actually maybe creates other problems for me, you know? So, but with Jesus, it should have helped. You know why? Because these guys were learning that he is the Son of God, right? In fact, it's, it's kind of neat. The way that Mark closes this passage in the Gospel of Mark, after this walking on the water passage, here, here's Mark's summary of what happened. He says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, see, Mark says that they were utterly astounded. You know why? Because they, they just weren't quite getting who this guy was. I mean, when you think about it, the guy that feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, the guy that feeds 20,000 people with a Lunchable, the, the guy that raises the dead, the guy that walks up to the tomb of Lazarus after he's been dead in the grave for four days and calls him out alive, the guy that, 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 that heals the leper and gives sight to the blind and, and, and enables the paralytic to walk, you ought to expect, hey, that guy might walk on water, right? I mean, like, like he is the son of God. Right, so Jesus appears to them, and he says, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And then a couple really cool things happen, right? These are my favorite parts of the passage. Number one, Peter says, If it's you, tell me to come out to you. If it's you, tell me to come out to you. Now, I like that for a couple reasons. I like that for number one, is that Peter wants to be with Jesus. All right, now, if you're, if you're, if you're out in a storm, if you're out in the sea, and you're out with this terrible windstorm, and the waves are 30 feet high, and you're in a boat, you don't want to be out of the boat, right? Right? Help me. I don't, I don't know much about sailing, so if I'm wrong about that, like, but usually when you're on, you're in that situation, you don't want to be out of the boat, right? You want to be in the boat, okay? The, in the boat is a little bit of security. In the boat is a little bit of safety. In the boat is a little bit of, okay, I'm okay here, right? This is my, this is a little bit of a comfort zone. But Peter's like, yeah, but Jesus is out there, and I want to be with him. I, I want to be doing what he's doing. I, I, I want to I be with him. Okay, I, I kind of love that. I, I kind of think we all ought to have that kind of bold and daring desire to be with Jesus, to be about what he's doing. If we know he's working, I want to be working too. He's there. I want to be with him. I, I want to be close to Jesus. Okay, the other thing I really like about what Peter says is he says, if it's you, then command me to come. Everybody with me. What's Peter asking for? He says, Jesus, give me a command to come. Now, now why, why doesn't he just say, guys, look, it's Jesus. Get out of the boat, everybody. You know, why didn't he do that? That would be presumption, okay? See, there, there's, a, there's a fine line between faith and presumption, okay? Presumption is, I want to do this, and so I'm expecting God to enable me. That's presumption. Faith is, God has told me something, and I'm believing it. You see, faith, faith has to be in something. Faith has to be anchored in something, all right? So, so a lot of times you're going to hear in the world, you're going to hear people talking about faith as if it's its own thing. How many times have you, have you asked somebody, you know, well, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know, but I just have faith. What, what are they saying? I don't know what they're saying, but they're not saying what the Bible's saying, okay? Because, because faith has to be in something for it to be biblical faith. Right? Biblical faith is rooted, it's anchored, it's established in Jesus Christ. All right? And so, so Peter doesn't want to just presume that he can walk on water. Do you remember when the devil was tempting Jesus? 
He actually tempted him with a temptation in the same realm. Remember, remember what he did? He told him to go up to the pinnacle of the temple. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And then remember what he said? He said, jump off. Jump off and, and the angels will catch you. You'll make this big spectacle. Everybody will see what happened and they'll know that you're the son of God. Okay, there's a big problem. God didn't tell Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, right? That was not God's plan for Jesus. That was not God's word. God's word for Jesus was for him to live the perfect life and then to die a sacrificial death on the cross for you and I, right? And so the devil tries to get him to presume upon God, to test God. Remember how Jesus responded to that? You should not test the Lord your God, right? And so it would be wrong for Peter just to hop out of the boat. So what does Peter do? He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. Tell me to come. Give me your word so that I can, I can trust your word. Here's the thing, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. God has told you things, hasn't he? God has told you things. God has commanded you as believers things. They're, they're written right here in this book, aren't they? And, and so, so we, like Peter, once we have his word, once he has told us these things, now we can believe them and, and now we can act upon them. How would you like some examples? There are thousands, right? But let's, let's just pick some favorites. 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that verse is written to believers. That verse is written to people who have turned away from their sin and put their faith and been joined to Jesus Christ, all right? But you know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying when I have blown it, when, when, when I have have acted in unbelief and have lost my temper or lost my, um, my, my, my control or lusted or been greedy or, or been selfish or prideful, when, 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 I, when I feel the guilt and weight of that, the Bible says I can come to God and I can grab hold of His Word. How many of you have used 1 John 1, 9? How many of you have grabbed on to 1 John 1, 9 and said, God, you said if we confess our sins, you'd be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would change my heart, right? I've, I've used that verse. I've grabbed onto it. God, you said that you would do that. So I am believing that. Lord, I'm embracing that. And then I'm able to rise off my knees and feel forgiven, right? Why? Because I'm resting on, I have confidence in that word that God has spoken to me. He has spoken to you. How about James 4, 6? I use that one all the time. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I find myself in situations where I want to be prideful. I find myself in situations where I want to, you know, demand my rights. I find myself in situations where I'm like, oh, oh, hold on. You shouldn't do that. You know, why should I have to be the one that carries that? You know, I find myself being prideful, right? But what do I do? I go to James 4, 4 6 and say, okay, God, you said that if we humble ourselves, that you will send your grace. And I want your grace. So God, I'm, I am believing your word and I'm getting out of the boat and I'm stepping into humility. I'm stepping into what you've told me to do. How about Matthew 28, 18 through 20? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. That is a command, is it not? 
It is a command, and we should take that command and say, okay, God, you said it. You told us, right? You told us, and so, Lord, I'm going I'm to bear witness of who you are to my neighbor. I'm going to share with my family what you've done. I'm going to ask my coworker if they wouldn't want to meet me some evening and read a chapter of Matthew you know, once a week. I'm, I'm going to gather a discipleship group. God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I, I, it makes me nervous, but, Lord, you said it, so I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to rest upon your word. And you, we could go all through the scriptures. We could just start right here in Matthew 15 and start turning pages in Matthew 18, 33. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Uh, two verses later, verse 35, my heavenly Father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, we ought to take that word and say, okay, God, you said I need to have mercy as you've had mercy on me. You said I need to forgive. So, God, I'm going to step. I don't want to. It's scary to me to forgive. But I'm going to step out of the boat, and I'm going to, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to rest myself upon your word. How about the next chapter? There's one on marriage, Matthew 19, verse 6. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, God, you said it. You said that you joined us together. So, God, I'm going to fight for my marriage. Right? So we are resting upon the word of God. So what does Peter do? He says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. What's Jesus say? Come, right? Now you know what Peter does? Peter is rejoicing over the word, right? He rejoices over the word, and he's so happy about it, and all the disciples clap because Jesus told them they can actually get out of the boat and come to him on the water, you know? And then they're not going to, you know, because, because, you know, well, Peter would be like, well, Jesus, if I get out of the boat, then that's going to be one less person to row. And you know what a hard time we've had rowing, right? And Jesus, you know, I, I don't want to stand up in the boat because if you've ever been out in a boat and tried to stand up, you know, I don't, this is not a good time to stand up. The wind's blowing real hard. And, and, and John might have said, well, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for telling us we can get out of the boat, you know, and we can come to you. But I, ro- I brought the wrong shoes today. These are not waterproof. And so I'm, I'm not going to, aren't you glad that didn't happen? Because that's exactly what a lot of people do with the word. A lot of people will hear, go therefore make disciples of all nations. They'll be like, I'm so glad, Jesus, that you're making disciples. I, I, I'm not going to get out. You know, I, I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not actually going to step my leg over the side of the boat and, 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 and rest my weight on that. But I'm so glad you said it. You know, we'll even memorize it. No, P- Peter actually got out of the boat. You know what James 2.17 says? James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, if, if you don't actually take steps of obedience, if you don't actually hear the word and believe it and then act upon it, the Bible says you're, you're not having biblical faith. You're not exercising biblical faith. Now, you know what? It's absolutely true that Peter had a certain personality type right? This guy, if you, if you read through the Gospels, he's always first in, right? You know, you, you, have, you, have, you have people on different extremes, personality-wise. I bet there's somebody in this room, I bet there's probably several people in this room that when they, when they got a big decision to make, man, they think about it for about six months, and then they finally pull the trigger, and they write it down on their prayer journal, and they start praying about it, right? After six months. There's other people in this room they think about a decision and they've done already bought it before they, you know, they've told anybody about it, right? They're, we probably got all those people in here, okay? Whether you're an impulsive person like Peter 
or whether you're a cautious person, listen, don't be a disobedient person, okay? Sometimes the cautious person can actually be living in disobedience. Like they're like, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just a slow mover. Yeah, I know you, you said go make disciples or you said to, you know, God gives grace to the humble, but I, you know, I, I'm just slow to process things. Okay, well, just make sure that your slowness is not actually just disobedience. Or maybe the impulsive person, don't, don't, don't act like, well, you're just brave if, if you haven't actually heard or, or if you're not actually trusting in the word of God, if you're just doing what you want to do. So, so despite personality, here's, here's the reality. Peter hears the word of God and he gets out of the both. He has faith to, to hear and to both believe and to act on the word of God. Now, there's different ways that you can look at faith, okay? Let me, let me give you one, one way that we need to look at faith, okay? One way that we look at faith is that everybody in this room, everybody in the service before this, and everybody in the first service are split into two categories, right? Those who have faith in the sense that they are joined to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus, in a faith relationship, and those who aren't, okay? The entire world is split into those two categories, okay? So there are people who have repented of their sins and they put their faith in Christ and they're joined to Jesus. There are people who haven't, okay? So in in that sense, we, we can talk about faith, okay? But in another sense, there's another sense in which those of you who have faith, okay? So let's say we gathered all the people that are joined to Jesus in one room, okay? Your faith is not always the same. Have you guys seen that new Apple Watch? that uh, it actually measures your heart rhythms. Have you seen that? On, on, I, I saw that advertised the other day. Like, it'll, it'll tell you if you have an irregular heartbeat. I'm waiting for the one that they bring out that actually has one of them shocker deals in it, you know? <laughs> like, like, it'll, you know, tell you your heart, and it'll just shock you. Wouldn't that be funny if it messed up, you know? <clears throat> you know? You had a little glitch. You put the battery in backwards. Ah! You know, anyway. But anyway, there's this watch. It actually tells you about how your heart's doing, you know? Wouldn't it be cool to have one that told you how your faith was doing? So like, like every, every, every born-again believer in here, you see, once you're joined to Jesus, you're a person of faith. But guess what? Your, your faith goes up and down, right? Right? Like, like you can actually look and oh, I'm a three today or I'm a seven today or I'm a one today, right? I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're always believing Jesus but at different degrees. So, so think of it this way. Every sin is rooted in what? Unbelief. Trace it back. Anytime you sin against God, anytime you, you take something that's not yours, anytime you're prideful, anytime you're selfish, anytime you're lustful, anytime you're greedy, anytime you're unforgiving, anytime you're angry without cause, you know what that's traced back to? A pocket of unbelief in you, right? You're, you're not trusting Jesus in some way. That's why, that's why you sin. And so I think everybody in this room would believe or would agree as believers that we still sin, right? So if we still sin, we have, we have some Measure of unbelief, okay? We have measure of doubt in, in our hearts. I, I, I love this guy in, uh, in, in Mark, Mark 6. Mark 6, there's this guy that comes to Jesus, and, and he, uh, he's got a boy that's, uh, that's very sick. And uh, no, that's not Mark 6. That's Mark 9. Sorry, 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 sorry. Got ahead of myself. Mark 9, 9, 24. And this, this guy has this, this little boy that's real sick, and, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that a great, leave that up there for a second. Isn't that a great phrase? I believe, help my unbelief. What is he saying? He's saying, I got both of those going on in me at the same time, right? I believe, help my unbelief, okay? So, 
So for instance, back in, in Matthew 8, when the disciples were on the, on the storm, on the sea, and, and Jesus was sleeping in the boat, when he, when he wakes up and calms the storm, he says, oh, oh, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? So basically he tells all the disciples, guys, you got small faith today. Right? If you go to chapter 15 of Matthew, the next chapter, you'll find Jesus talking to this Canaanite woman, and she is just relentless to get to Jesus. She is relentless to call out to Jesus. Nothing will deter her. And at the end of that passage, it says in verse 28, Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Right? So right here in, in a couple of chapters, we've got Jesus saying, Peter, you got little faith. Canaanite woman, you've got great faith, right? And so so we understand that, that our faith is not full all the time, right? We have pockets of doubt. We have pockets of unbelief. Peter's faith got him out of the boat, but it, it didn't hold him up on the water for long. I kind of look at faith as a muscle. Like you got you to exercise it. And, and, and when it's weak, it can't sustain your actions. When it's small, it gets overwhelmed. It loses confidence. And so, and so look what happens, okay? So Peter has faith to get out of the boat, but then look at verse 30, what happens? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Everybody with me? Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. Peter's like, I believe you. Gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water, but then it says he saw the wind. It's an interesting phrase to me because he already knew it was windy. They'd been rowing against the wind all night long, right? But I kind of picture what happened is, as he's on those waves, as he's in new territory, he's out of his comfort zone, and all of a sudden a gust of gale force wind hits him, right? And he sees it and he's afraid, okay? So so he's threatened. He feels the beating of the wind, and there's a little bit of doubt that wells up within him. Maybe a lot of doubt, I don't know. You know what doubt is, right? Doubt is that internal questioning, right? Like, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Like, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like, like maybe, maybe I misunderstood Jesus. Like, maybe, maybe I should have just stayed in the boat. You know what doubt is? Doubt is when you lose your confidence in Jesus. Right? Everybody hear that? Doubt is when you lose your confidence in Jesus. Now, Peter didn't stop believing in Jesus at this point, right? Nobody in this room thinks that when he started to sink, it was because all of a sudden he thought, you know what, Jesus isn't the Messiah, Muhammad is. Or maybe I should be a Buddhist. Or maybe this new age thing's right. No, no, that's not what's happening, right? What was happening? Peter got, got scared. He got fearful, right? And he loses his confidence in Jesus. He panics, Got any panickers in the room? Any panickers? Yeah, there's a few. Thank you for your courage, okay? He panics. Okay, have you ever noticed how much in the Gospels fear is, is equated with little faith? In other words, Jesus many times rebukes his disciples and he says, you shouldn't be afraid here. You should, you should be confident in me. I've been reading this book uh, with uh, Dino Woods and Chris Trent. It's called uh, Spiritual Depression. It's by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I'm telling you, the guy said something this week that I stopped everything, got out my Bible, and wrote it down because I wanted to remember it. But what he said is he said this. He says, faith refuses to panic. Faith refuses to panic. 
Let's wake everybody up. Would you say that with me? Faith refuses to panic. All right. So Jesus called Peter out. He's out on the water. He's walking on the water. He sees the wind. He's afraid. What does he do? He panics and he begins to doubt. Okay? And that doubt causes him to sink. Now, the the thing I really like about Lloyd-Jones' expression there, faith refuses to panic, I love the word refuses. Right? Because what does refuse mean? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combative word, right? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a resistance word. So in other words, when you have this, this doubt swelling up in you, we've all had that, right? Like, like we, we were trying to trust Jesus, we're trying to obey Jesus, we're trying to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden we have these doubts that come up within us. Okay, what it means is you resist that actively, okay? So in other words, what it's saying is, when, when doubt rises up in you, you grab it by the throat and you shove it back down. You don't let it come up. All right? That, that's what it means to be strong in faith. You, you know what I think a lot of people think? I think a lot of people think that being strong in faith means you just do it effortlessly. I, I really believe there's a lot of folks that think, you know, those, those people that are strong in faith, you know, Billy Graham, man, he just... He just effortlessly trusts Jesus, you know. It's just so easy for him, you know. He just, God calls him and he's just like, you bet. I'll do whatever, leave this, leave that, forget that, trust you here, you know, not be angry. I don't think there exists such a person other than Jesus. I, I think if you're going to be a person who, who's, who is strong in faith, in other words, if you're going to be a person that looks at your little faith watch there and it's pegging at eight or nine, I think what that means is you are actively resisting doubt. You are, you are cultivating confidence in Jesus. You are refusing to panic. little confession for you, okay? You probably already knew this about me, but maybe it's true. I have never gotten on a plane to either India or Africa. Now, I've gotten on a plane to a lot of other places, um, but but it's I, I thought about this and it's true of those two places, India or Africa. I've never gotten on a plane when I did not have swells of doubt rising up in me. The one that I remember most was in 2015, and I remember it because we had just gotten our little guy, you know, just providence of God, wasn't expecting it, already had the trip planned, and and we got him, and then everything was uncertain. Everything was uncertain. We didn't know I did I did not know if he would be in our home when, when I got back. It was a long trip. We had planned this thing way in advance. It was like three and a half weeks. It was close to a month. And, and the place we were going, everything was uncertain. And I remember being on the plane and fighting these waves of doubt. Okay, and what did that look like? It was, it was things like, ah, this, you shouldn't have gone. This is not the right time. This was, this was bad timing. You got all this other thing, you know. I, I even blame my wife. I remember thinking, my, my wife's the kind of person that she just doesn't tell me no about, like, spiritual things. Like, if I'm like, honey, I, I, want, I need, feel like I need to go to this revival. Honey, I feel like I need to go to Africa. Honey, I feel like I need to go to India. She's just the type of person she's like, okay, you know, I'll support you, you know. And I remember being on that plane being like, she should have told me no, you know. Like, like I just I want to blame somebody like, like, like this. And I remember that welling up in me. And you, you know what I had to do? I had to refuse that. I had to not give way to that. I, I remember, the reason I like this illustration because I remember exactly what had happened. So I'm there on the plane. I'm sitting down. I'm having these waves of, 
man, this is wrong timing, wrong trip. You know, I, I shouldn't, I was selfish. I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have these waves. And I remember somewhere between Woodward and Oklahoma City, David Arney, who is with us, had quoted Psalm 121. I don't remember, I don't even remember the circumstances of how it happened, but somewhere between Woodward and there, he had quoted Psalm 121. I think just one verse of it. I think he had said, maybe we were, I think maybe we were just driving on the highway and there were some hills and he said, I, you know, I looked to the hills from whence does my help come. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You know, but anyway, I latched on to Psalm 121. And I remember opening up my Bible. People are still boarding the plane. And I'm opening up my Bible. And I just began to pour over Psalm 121. By the time we were over mid-Atlantic, I had memorized the entire chapter. Right? Let me read it to you. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Do you see what's happening in my soul? Man, we're just grabbing onto that doubt and shoving it down. Just putting it down. As it arises up, you just put it down. And you're building your confidence in the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And by the time we were to France, I had full confidence. I did not know what would happen, but I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Does that make sense? Like, like, like I had shoved that doubt down. And I was fully, I was not confident in me. I was not confident in Emma. I was not confident in our situation. What I was confident in was the Lord. Like, he is my keeper. Like, he's in control of this thing. Guys, that's what you must do with doubt. It is a fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. Fight. You got, you've got to fight in this thing. Right? So praise God for the kind of faith that, that, that leads Peter to say, Jesus, give me a word and I'll believe it. And he did. And he got out of the boat. But you know what? It's not over once you're out of the boat, is it? Why? Because those swells of doubt begin to come in all of us, in all of us. And you, you got to take them and you got to shove them down. You got to stuff them down. And, and you got to refuse to lose your confidence in Jesus. You got to refuse to panic. Look at, look at verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart as I, do not be afraid. He'd already told them. Don't be afraid. You got, you got to trust me. How do we do that? How, how, do, how do we build and cultivate confidence in Jesus? How, how do we build and cultivate a kind of heart that, that pushes down those doubts when we're, we're, we're tempted to doubt? You know how we do that? We do that by measuring and calculating the right things, okay? Now, we are already a people that really like to measure and calculate, aren't we? You know what? I, I wish I had a great illustration of like, I don't know, like some big storm supposed to be coming and a whole bunch of people like, like furiously measuring and calculating and 
running the thing in their head over and over and over about how terrible it was going to be and calling the church office and saying, we've got to cancel everything, cancel it all, this no apocalypse is coming. Wouldn't that be great if we had an illustration of that? It would be cool. It would be really timely for today, wouldn't it? We like to measure and calculate, don't we? Okay. Don't measure and calculate the wrong. You know what most people do? They measure and they calculate their circumstances. What happened to Peter? Let's just look at the facts here. Okay, so he gets out of the boat. He's, he's literally walking on water, confident in Jesus. And then it says in verse 30, he sees the wind, right? It says he saw the wind. He was afraid. What's he doing? He's calculating the wrong thing. I picture him going, huh, huh, wind at 50 mile an hour, you know, wave at 30 feet. This is bad. I should not be out here. I should not have gone. I should have stayed in. Everybody else stayed in. Why did I get out and nobody else got out right? He's measuring and he's calculating the wrong thing. You, you, know, you know what a lot of doubt is caused from in our lives? We're measuring and calculating the wrong Every time you hit that panic button, why did you hit it? Because you are measuring and calculating all your circumstances, right? Over and 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 over again. What are you not measuring and calculating? Jesus. Hey, measure him. Let, let's just, let's for a second, let's measure his power. How can you do that? You know what Isaiah 40 says? Who can, who can measure the heavens with a span? Only God. Who weighs the nations as dust on the scale? You see, start, start measuring Jesus' power, his promises, his plan, his faithfulness, his love, his goodness. Start measuring verses like Romans 8, 32 that, that tell us, he who did not spare his own son, how much more will he graciously give you all things? If, if God did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, if he allowed him to be butchered on a cross to pluck your sinful self out of hell, will he not go to great lengths to keep you? He will. Measure that. What lengths will Jesus go to protect his own bride? Measure that. So Peter is measuring the wrong thing. The wind and the waves, right? And he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, I don't want you to see this as there's a whole lot of times when I'm not paying attention to Colt and I hear something and I turn around and he's crying out. And you know why he's crying out? Because he got himself into bad trouble, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it was happening, right? That, that's not what happens here. Okay, don't picture Jesus and Peter out walking on the water, and Jesus is like turning around, looking around, and all of a sudden he's like, here's Peter, Jesus! You know, he's like, oh, you sunk, you know. That's not what happened. Let me tell you, let me tell you why I know that's not what happened, okay? Because here's what the Scripture says. It says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink. Okay, how many of you have jumped off a diving board in a swimming pool? Nobody here. Okay. I have. I'll, Fred has. Okay. All right. When you jump off, off of a diving board, here's the way I remember it. Okay. When you do, it's immediate. Like, like if you try to cry out, you know, you'll get, you know, right? Like, it's, you're, you're down. Okay. But, but do you see what that says? Beginning to sink. This is a slow sink. How many of you ever jumped in and, you know, you, you hit the water and you went, you know. none of us, right? Question, what's holding Peter on top of the water? Now, you're tempted to say his faith, aren't you? That's wrong. 
It's not his faith. Jesus is what's holding him on the water. So if he begins to sink, what's allowing him to sink? Jesus. You see, this wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Peter didn't have to alert him that he was sinking. Jesus knew doubt was welling up in Peter. And so he allows him to sink, prompting his call of faith, right? See, Peter needs to get his eyes off the storm. He needs to start calling out to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that sometimes Jesus will let us sink so that we'll call? <laughs> Isn't that great? Grabs him by the hand, okay? Says he grabs him by the hand and he brings him into the boat. So they both walk into the boat. They get into the boat. And then Jesus says this great question. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, here's my experience. Most of my why questions to my children are not really asking for answers, for legitimate answers. Does that make sense? Like, like there's a lot of times where I say why to my kids, and it's like, you know, why'd you stick those marshmallows up your nose? I'm not really wanting like a legitimate, like I'm not wanting, well, Dad, I saw this on the news, and you know, I'm... (laughs) Supposed to be good for your sinuses. I'm not, I'm not wanting to, What am I saying? Why did you? I'm saying you should not have done that, right? That's what I'm saying. When I say, why? Okay, so, so when he says, why did you doubt? What's Jesus saying? He's saying you should not have doubted. He's saying you have no reason to doubt. Try to answer that question. Peter, why'd you doubt? Well, what's he going to say? Well, Jesus, I saw that wind. I saw that wave. And I looked over at you and... I just don't think you're strong enough. Is that legitimate? This is the one who spoke the galaxy into existence. He can't handle the wave and the wind. He's already stilled the storm. Peter was in the boat when he did it. Chapter 8. Well, what if Peter says, well, Jesus says, why'd you doubt, Peter? Well, this situation was just too big. You know, just no, nobody's ever been in this situation before. What if he said, well, you've got a history of letting people down. Is that true? Man, those of you who've been through our God story, is not the whole thing about God's incredible faithfulness in impossible situations? Do you not have a Bible full of story after story after story of God taking care of people when everything looked impossible? I know a lot of times, you know what we want to say? My situation's unique, right? Nobody's ever had two flat tires in the same week before, right? That's what we want to say. But here's, here's the answer to why did you doubt. You had no reason to doubt. You, you were measuring and calculating the wrong thing. You took your eyes off Jesus and you put him on the storm. There's two groups of people in here, okay? There's some of you who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. My, my word to you would be look at who he is. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. He is the answer for your soul. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your idols and put your faith in him. Okay, there's another group of people in here. And and you're people of faith. You're believers. All right, here's what I would say to you. You're gonna have to fight doubt in your life, okay? Like not every, everybody does not have full faith all the time, do we? No, we don't. We continually battle these waves and swells of panic and of being fearful, and of knowing that God's called us into these things, and yet we're, we're distraught with fear. We lose our confidence in him. And so you're gonna have to learn to measure and calculate Jesus, not the storm. 
Refuse to panic. Refuse to lose your confidence in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to uh, build up great faith in us. Father, I think about that Canaanite woman in chapter 15 who just would not be deterred from coming after you. Lord, make us like that person. God, I, I think we're all a little bit like Peter. Father, we, we step out into, into obedience and into trying to follow you and then we, we lose our confidence or we get distracted or we get fearful or we get overwhelmed or we panic or... We get stressed, and Father, I pray that you would enable us, God, to build our confidence more and more in you. God, just help us to see your glory. Help us to see all that you are, all that you'll do, and God, build up a great faith and confidence in you, in us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.